One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome to Autographs. This is episode nine. I'm Tom Altruziski, and tonight I'm here with Joe Douglas. How are you tonight, Joe? I'm good, Tom. How are you? Good. So uh, before we get started, we had a little banter. I think about a topic that almost every other baseball podcast in the country is going to be talking about this week. Uh, D. Gordon, who, if you have been living under a rock, was suspended, I think, for 80 games for uh, performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah, 80 so, games. Uh, yeah, well, what are your thoughts on that, Joe? You go first. <laughs> I'm glad I'm, I don't play in a 5x5 five five league or any form of head-to-head that values stolen bases. So um, the impact is much less for me, and I think for you as well, than it is um, for most other people. So I think one of the things that I enjoy about auto new is just that stolen bases are pretty irrelevant and that the <laughs> player values kind of line up with how I view baseball as is. So um, – for me, D. Gordon was kind of like a ten, fifteen to $15 player going into the year. But in a lot of 5 by 5 leagues, he was like a $35 player in Otter New. So um, losing him, I guess, isn't nearly as impactful as it would be in other leagues. I actually own him in an ESPN league. And uh, when I went to drop him a couple days ago, he was actually on the no cut list. You can't drop, I think, the top 10 or 12 players because okay. otherwise a team could just drop Mike Trout. Yeah. Uh, so so that tells you how high ESPN saw his value. Uh, fortunately, that team is doing well, so I cut him loose and I'm still doing OK. But um, for someone who plays ESPN or a five by five more seriously, it'd be uh, a pretty big bummer. <laughs> yeah, it would. And I think he's uh, a player that I don't own anywhere. So I'm not really hurting with this news. But I know that there are a lot of people who gave up a lot for him in trades and they are not too happy right now. Yeah, well, and especially um as we were talking about before, in Adenu, this is really the first season that people were spending significant money on him. So if you traded for him, or especially if you picked him up in the draft, you know, in a new league this year, you could really regret that right now. Yeah, so here, just an idea of like a D. Gordon trade. Mark Johnson, who's actually in um, a league with us, he traded for a $35 D. Gordon and a $1 Jackie Bradley and gave up a $2 span a $7 Pedroia, an $8 Trey Turner, and a $7 Kenta Maeda. And this is in a 5 by 5 league. So, Maeda really hurts in that, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it could cost you, especially in 5 by 5 because now you have a $35 D-, D. Gordon that I guess he just cut for cap space. But I was going to say, that had to be a 5 by 5 Otherwise, yeah. you, what were you doing owning a $35 D. Gordon in the first place? <laughs> Someone was drunk at the draft. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's maybe more common than we'd like to admit. Yeah. <laughs> They do go on a long time. All right. Well, um, let's kind of transition to maybe a more positive topic. Uh, you had a piece come out, I think, last week at Rotographs, looking at some pitchers who, unlike D. Gordon, have improved their value uh, over the course of the early season. So do you want to talk about that just for a moment? Yeah. So I um, I kind of set it up as a game, but I, I, um, I just wanted to play around with the idea of like what would be the best scenario that you could really hope for if you went really cheap with your rotation. Um, 
So and you kind of hit on everybody. Yeah, and you just kind of hit on everybody. Um, but the reason I wanted to do that was because I think a lot of these pitchers are um, kind of interesting for the rest of the year. Um, and so, for example, um, the guys that I mentioned in the post were Drew Smiley, Vince Velasquez, Aaron Nola, Rich Hill, and Huli Shakin. Um, I I like all those guys. Um, and there were a couple others that I mentioned that I didn't write about just because um, – I didn't have time to write about everybody, but like Jaime Garcia, Jose Quintana, Jason Hamill, Taiwan Walker, Drew Pomeranz. Those are all pitchers who have done really well, I think, relative to what they cost at the draft this year. Um, and some of them have kind of broken out more than others. But I, it's interesting to me um, how, I guess, one month of – because we're now at May 1st as we record this um, – how like one month of playing time can really impact um, what we believe of a player's value. Um, and like if we redrafted today, what would we pay for some of these players? Um, that's just something that I try to think about as I kind of target trades and um, and so on. And I think that those changes are kind of um, quicker to realize with pitchers than they are with hitters. That's just my personal opinion, though. So, yeah, I think it's interesting um, that you phrased it in the way of what did you pay for them in the draft or over the winter mm -hmm. versus what would you pay for them now? Yeah, I think that really gets back to in, in the winter. We talk about the idea of surplus. Um, but it's really like the flip side of the coin during the season. You know, what would you play for a pay for a player? And really the same question. How much value are you getting over what you paid them? That's the the exact idea of surplus. Yeah. So I think like, I mean, just looking at like maybe three or four, like the three or four top guys that I mentioned in the post, like Drew Smiley, Vince Velasquez, Aaron Nola and Rich Hill. Um, like those guys were probably going to cost you five dollars at the beginning of the year. Um, but I don't think any of us now think that they're $5 pitchers. So, I, I mean, at least given what they've produced. So, um, it's kind of like, how do we adjust for that? And how quickly does it take to adjust for that is one of the things that I really try to, um, be conscious of. I know, I think August Fagerstrom had written a piece at Fangraphs last week that was looking at the largest change, um, in rest of season projections from the beginning of the year. Um, and Rich Hill was at the top of that list. Um, and I think Matt Moore was up there. Um, I think Smiley was up there too. There were a couple, a bunch of raised pitchers who were on that list. And I, um, those are the kind of guys that I like to buy early, especially in trades. Um, because I feel like the perception of them maybe doesn't catch up to what they actually are. So even though you're buying high, I think sometimes you can buy high on players who, um, have maybe shown that their true talent is, um, is worth the, the, the cost, I guess, in those trades. So, well, I think the idea of buying high too, it, it kind of plays into that idea of playing against your opponents and not necessarily against the cards. Yeah. Um, so there's a reason we talk about selling high where you have a guy and you don't think he's going to continue. You sell him high and you get what you can right now. Mm -mm. So sometimes you just like you're saying, you can flip that idea and you buy a guy high because you do think he's going to keep it up. So you're flipping that tactic to work for you instead of against you. Yeah. And I think it, and I think that like probably 80, 75, 80% of the time you do want to buy low and sell high. But I do think knowing the players who um, maybe have had early season success, who you actually think will keep that up um, is important. And I think like looking at changes in rest of season projections can kind of show you some of that, that maybe uh, you wouldn't otherwise be aware of. Yeah, definitely. So um, I guess what I had here for 
really the main topic of this episode was to look at some players, um, maybe a couple that you mentioned and some other ones that we think fall into this category of players who have improved their value. Okay. Um, or maybe a couple players who have destroyed their value. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you want to go first or, or what do you think? Uh, you can go first if you, if you have anyone in mind. I mean, the obvious injuries. <laughs> yeah. So I'll start um, kind of calling back to the beginning of this episode, D Gordon and also Chris Colabello mm-hmm. uh, who both uh, had, I think kind of similar value. D Gordon had established himself as not a great second baseman in, in Fangraphs points, at least, but someone who's usable and Calabella the same. Cause he was outfield eligible. He was maybe a solid outfielder that you could use as your fourth or fifth guy. Um, and looking at them, I'm really thinking not just about this season, cause obviously they're out, but for next season. Um, and I don't know about you, but I really, this causes me to question what I could get from them next season, especially Calabello. You know, because Gordon, to me, has always been the kind of player with the steals and with the batting average that he would be a little bit useful. He could be like your backup middle infielder in Fangrass points and you could do worse. So I think he'll still have some value. But Calabello, especially, you know, it makes me wonder if he just came out of nowhere and had that nice season and he's just going to go back to nowhere. If you should just totally cut him loose. What do you think? Yeah. So with both of those names, Calabello is easier for me. I He was a one dollar player for me coming into the year. Like. Um, I, so you didn't buy that he could repeat. I no, I, I didn't personally. I mean, I, like I could see why people would pay maybe five bucks or whatever. Um, but there, when there are players like that in that one to $5 range, and this is kind of how I see Gordon as well. Um, even though he was probably like a $10 player coming into the year, I, I, I tend to look for guys I specifically want being like, Oh, so being like this player could be like a one or a $5 player or whatever. I, um, and neither of those guys were players that I was really that interested in. So like of that tier, they weren't, you know, there were other guys you preferred yeah, in that tier. Exactly. You're saying, yeah, that makes sense. So like if you had called a bellow at five, like I would have taken that money and put it on like John Chaso instead. Or mm-hmm. Something like that. Well, I think you would have put more than $5 on John Chaso, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I had Calabello kind of in that category. I bought him in one league. Uh, I kind of got suckered into trading for him, <laughs> which maybe wasn't my best move. Um, Gordon, I do, I do still buy a little bit more because I think he was more the kind of player that we always felt like the talent was there, but, you know, he kind of wasn't improving. And especially because he was never a great hitter. You know, you didn't know if he ever was going to improve. So I still buy him a little bit. Calabello, though, I agree that he was kind of on the border coming into this year. And I think now you can just completely take him off your radar. Yeah, with Gordon, I think like he's probably, he fits the mold of like a middle infielder when you need someone who's going to play a lot of games. Um, I mean, definitely outside of the, not this year, but in general, like next year I would probably have him like three to $5, I guess. Um, But I doubt I will own him because I think that there will be other players in that tier that I would rather spend on. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Do you want to your turn? Yeah. Um, so I can just talk about a couple pitchers, I guess. Um, maybe the best way to do this is just to look at some pitchers who have really increased their rest of season projections. Um, sure. So the players who have improved that the most, I guess, would be like Rich Hill, Holy Shaquin, Noah Syndergaard, Matt Moore, Drew Smiley, Taiwan Walker. Um, a lot of these guys that have really had like these hot starts. So I, um, when I see those types of changes. And I, I already mentioned August wrote a piece on this last week. Um, I think that those changes in rest of season projections typically don't catch up as quickly as we would like them to. So if I see a large change, um, 
I'm pretty quick to maybe be more aggressive on buying those guys than I than I otherwise would. So, so is that because you kind of feel like the change means that if the projections buy it already, then it's legit. Whereas if the projections are going slower, then it means that they're kind of warning you that it might not. Be yeah. Legit. So I don't want to say that it's legit, but um, I think projection systems don't catch up quickly enough. And and that's just the nature of like how projection systems work. So it's not like they're missing something. Like they're doing what they should. Projection systems are doing what they should be doing. Like we have twelve starts saying that Rich Hill is like the equivalent of Max Scherzer or Clayton Kershaw, but um, we also have like six years saying that he's not. So like those twelve starts should not be worth more than like the past six years. I I think that, and this is probably more specifically with pitchers than it is with hitters for me. Um, pitchers have more control over things that they can change. So I like to um, kind of be wary of like what those projection system changes are um, and maybe buy those guys early. Like Huli Shakin, um was a guy I've been buying up for the past two or three weeks in nearly all my leagues. Um, not because I think that he's an ace or anything. He's probably like a $5 pitcher right now. Um, but just because I think that um, like at the time I could get him for a buck and I'm like, okay, I'll get him for a buck. And if these changes that he's making seem to be real um, or look real, then maybe um, I'll kind of end up with like a diamond in the rough. So maybe Shaquin's a good guy to talk about just because he hasn't really been discussed in a lot of leagues. But um, basically he's throwing more pitches in the zone than he has in the past. Um, and on those pitches in the zone, he hitters are making less contact. So it, to me, that's kind of like a proxy for stuff, I guess I say in air quotes, um, or like improved stuff where if you can throw more pitches um, in the strike zone than you were in the past, and at the same time, pitchers are, or hitters are hitting it less, um, I it like kind of like throws up a red flag that like there's something more there that should be dug into. Um, so, and he's walked, I mean, his ball his walk rate is at 4.4%, which is like way lower than it has been. He's still getting ground balls. And of course he's not in cores. So like all of those things kind of work in his favor. Um, and I, I'm not saying that like he's extremely fantasy relevant, but I just see enough there to say, okay, it's worth the dollar $2 bid. And if it ends up being a quick, like flash in the pan, then I'll just cut him in a couple weeks. So, um, I will say one thing that I do worry about with Shaquin is his he has his fastball and a sinker, and then he also has a slider, and the slider's really good. Um, but I worry that it's near it's gonna be like a two pitch mix where you have your like your two fastballs and your slider, and that's kind of like the reliever mix that a lot of pitchers throw. Um he does have a really good curveball, but he hasn't been throwing it. So I kind of worry that he's gonna get into this scenario where he's just throwing two pitches. So And he's just ignoring the curveball. Yeah, and I think he should throw it more. I think because it breaks in the opposite direction, so it kind of like gives hitters a different look. But um, he hasn't to this point, so like that's kind of what I'm watching for. If he starts mixing that in, then I'm going to be buying, I guess, even more than I am right now. Interesting. So, yeah that that's my uh, five minute rant. <laughs> we should make that like a topic on every podcast. Five yeah. minutes on Huli Shakin. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> We actually want people to listen, Tom. <laughs> so. Hey, well, if somebody buys Hula Shaquin based on this advice and they win their league, we're going to have a listener for life. <laughs> yeah. Or or for however long this podcast endures. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think Shaquin's probably like a $5 player right now. Um, but there could definitely 
there's a lot more upside there. Like, and that could change. Like if he does the same thing that he's doing now for another two weeks, three weeks, um, he's probably up to 10. Like it can just change so quickly with pitchers. I was going to say, I think that it kind of gets to the core of your theory that a lot of times, you know, you might see someone like this and you say, well, they're just a $5 guy. But if you're looking at someone who was a $1 guy and now he's a $5 guy, maybe just go for it, you know, pick him up in an auction, even if you have to spend a couple more dollars, because if he does become that 10 or $15 guy, you know, you want to be the person that took a chance on somebody. And if he doesn't, you're buying him right now in the window where you're only spending $5. So if you pick up somebody else and they stink and you have to cut them, you at least found that out quickly. So you kind of, you get that money back. You can bid on someone else. Um, but the yeah. value, if they do hit is really worth trying out a couple of these guys early on. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes back to the piece it was like, it, I mean, another example is like Vince Velasquez, like he was a $5 pitcher at the beginning of the year. Um, but I think everyone who owns him values him much higher than $5 right now. So it, I think that even given a month of data and yes, small sample size, um, there are some real changes that pitchers and hitters have made. And I, um, it's easy when you play with smart people to just kind of say small sample and like everyone, like, yes, it's the theoretically correct like answer. But um, if everyone thinks like that, you're going to have a huge blind spot for players who do well early in the season. And, um, and maybe have performances that are indicative of some form of breakout coming. So, well, I think also we we love to laugh at like the guy in the league who always buys, you know, whoever is the hot player. But what we forget sometimes is, you know, sometimes one of those players does hit. So I think it is. It's a little less about making sure that every player you buy is awesome, and a little more about playing the odds. So yeah, you know, if you buy a couple of those guys and one of them hits and the others don't, great, just cut those other ones loose. So where you really get into trouble is if you then hold on to all of them all season waiting for it to happen. You have to maybe be a little ruthless and cut someone loose if they didn't succeed and hold on to the guy who is proving his worth. Yeah, exactly. So, All right, well, um, going back on my list, I had a couple players who uh, I think their value has changed a little less in terms of anything they're doing differently and a little more in terms of their role on their team, which um, for anybody who listened to Justin in my football podcast, which um, will be returning soon, by the way, that's our little plug. Um, one of the things we talked about is that the role on a football team is extremely important because a player with equal talent, but not as much of a starting job could face a huge swing in value, much larger than in baseball. But we do see a similar effect in baseball. And I think just like we were talking about pitchers being able to make changes quickly because of changing their stuff or their pitch mix, I think pitchers have a lot more ability to benefit from a role change. And the most obvious example is say, if they're a middle reliever and they become a closer, um, which the example on my list is Ryan Madsen, um, they can easily start adding either two points for every save or even just one point above getting a hold. You need to get a point for a hold, but two for a save. Um, and I think Madsen is a great example there because we knew he was a great pitcher once. Uh, we even saw him be a good pitcher last year, but there was kind of this question of where was he going to go and whatever team he lands on, um, are they going to treat him like a proven closer or are they going to put him in the sixth inning? And I think even coming into the season, there wasn't really that much indication that Madsen was going to be the closer or even the eighth inning guy. And then all of a sudden, as the season started, it became clear that he was sort of a co-closer with Doolittle. And really, I feel like Madsen has taken over pretty much the regular closer role at this point 
you know, Doolittle gets a save opportunity here or there, but he is more likely coming in to face uh, either a group of lefties or in the eighth inning. And Madsen has kind of taken over maybe 80% of the closer role, which I think has not catapulted his value super high. But um, I mean, I thought he was maybe a two or three dollar guy starting the season. And now he's, you know, in that closer category. I you think you could easily see someone paying 10 or more for him in a free agent auction right now. Yeah, I think, um, and with the A's too, like there, there were other names in that bullpen. Like Liam Hendricks was a really hot name, um, this off season as far as like setup duties. Yeah. So it, I, I do like Madsen. I think that he, um, reliever values can change so quickly just based off of whether it's an injury or whether it's just a role change. Um, but yeah, I like him. I think he's, he's a good name. Like I would feel very comfortable trading for him if I felt like I wasn't having to overpay or anything. So Yeah, and I think that ties into the point you made a little bit that pitchers' values can change quickly, and, and with relievers even more. There's always been this kind of contemporary wisdom that relievers are fungible. You know, you don't want to overpay or even pay any significant money for a guy that's hot right now. But I think part of that ignores that uh, relievers can also gain value quickly. So you don't always have to worry that your reliever is going to fall off a cliff. Sometimes it's about scoping out who you think could jump in value. So anybody who looked at Madsen and thought that might happen is now reaping the dividend of that. Mm-hmm. What, what about another guy that you had on your list? Uh, so the other guy for pitchers I had on here, um, you actually mentioned in passing Drew Pomeranz. And I think yeah. he falls into that same category as a starter, um, especially similar to Madsen, because really even coming out of spring training, it wasn't clear whether he was even going to be in the bullpen or a starter. So it wasn't clear what his role was. Um, but he's really been kind of on my radar for the past couple years as someone that he's shown flashes of being really good, both as a starter and as a reliever. So I was targeting him in a lot of leagues thinking if he's a starter, I think that'll be where he's most valuable. But if he's a reliever, you know, there isn't really a great bullpen on the Padres either. So I thought maybe Pomeranz could quickly become a setup guy you know, or become that lefty setup guy that's getting like one out holds. I don't know. There is Fernando Rodney. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I think it, that was why I was targeting Pomeranz. Cause I thought he was someone that had a couple different ways he could return value. Yeah. And, and he's honestly, he's, is out producing even what I expected. He's, I think just at about six points per inning right now, which for a starter is quite good. I don't know if he's going to keep quite that level of production up, uh, but it definitely doesn't hurt that he's pitching for the Padres. You know, see, so he's pitching half of his home games in one of the best parks and a lot of his other games in the National League, in some good ballparks um, outside of the Dodgers, not necessarily against great hitting teams. So um, I, I'm feeling very good about Pomeranz. I think he might be a player that it would be tough to trade for right now because chances are he's on a team of someone who targeted him specifically. Yeah. I, I know that just to jump in, I, I know that Justin really likes Pomeranz. Yeah. Um, I, I like him as well. I, I do have more concern with him, I guess, than a guy like, um, like Rich Hill or Velasquez or Smiley or Aaron Nola, um, just because he's walking so many guys. So I'm kind of concerned, I guess, um, cause like the stuff is obviously there. He's striking out what, like 11 batters per nine innings or whatever, but he's also walking like five. So I, I, um, I'm just a little concerned, I guess, that he, uh, isn't going to have the necessary innings, um, and that he's going to kind of work himself like into a, into a, some form of limit. Like he's going to go like five innings in every start or whatever. Right. Um, which isn't the end of the world. I just kind of, um, 
walks hurt you more than hits do. I'd rather see him uh, maybe giving up a couple hits and not walking nearly as many people. But I do like him a lot. Um, maybe a good question for Pomeranz because he kind of fits into the mold of the pitchers I talked about. What do you think like you would pay for him right now in a new league? Like if you were drafting right now. Because hmm. a, a lot of leagues I've seen him in, he's going to cost $1 to $4 or so. Yeah, for people that bought him this year. I mean, would you pay 10 for him right now? Um, I think 10 might be my list. So we had talked about Velasquez a couple weeks ago, maybe yeah. being like a 12 to $15 player. And he is, I think, kind of proving that he's worth that and maybe a little more if he keeps it up. Um, yeah. I think Pomeranz, maybe my limit would be 12 right now. Okay. So I, like, I might go to 10, but I wouldn't want to go too much higher. Um, the good okay. thing, you mentioned that he's walking a lot of guys. Um, but one thing that I think works in his favor is that the past couple of seasons, he's only walked more like three ish, 3.39 in 2014, 3.24 in 2015. And now he's walking per nine per nine. Yeah. But now he's walking almost five per nine. Um, So that makes me have some confidence that I think he could get that back down a little bit. A lot of that was out of the bullpen. Yeah. So maybe he's going to walk more when he's uh, coming out as a starter and he has to kind of think about saving his stuff for the whole start. Yeah. Uh, But I think five is, higher than I would expect. If he could get that down to about four, even that I think would be a big step towards continuing good performance. The other thing that Pomeranz is doing, um, and I, I'm just pulling this from memory because I looked at it um, on Thursday when I was writing the piece, is he's throwing his curveball like more than his fastball. I'm like, like that's his main pitch. So I wonder if um, maybe the walk rate is just, is due to the fact that his pitch mix has kind of changed and he's now throwing his curveball. Um, at a much higher rate than he was in the past. So I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I guess maybe that's one, like as a counterpoint to uh, he's walked less in the past, like last year, right? Maybe this is something real. Yeah. So I just pulled it up last year. He threw his curve, his fastball twice as much as his curveball. this year. He's thrown 164 curveballs and 147 fastballs. So um, if you're like just looking at his forcing, so it, I wonder if, because it's harder to control those breaking pitches and I think that maybe like the stri- maybe this is just kind of like um, the change that he's made. Where now, since he's throwing that more, like we can look at the uptick in strikeouts, but that's just going to come with an uptick in walk rates. So, right, yeah, and the same thing. Like if you're if he's kind of accepting maybe that with the curveball he's going to walk more guys, but it's going to be less hittable. Yeah, so you're getting more strikeouts and potentially less hits. Yeah, I mean this that could be something that he's decided is worth it. Yeah, and and I think it is because this version of him is uh, better than what he has been in the past. So. Um, it just kind yeah. of like tailors the upside for me a little bit, I guess. Right. As opposed to someone who was doing this with their fastball. Um, yeah. I, I think a good way to think about it would not be that his success is legit or not legit, but just that it maybe puts a limit on how high he can go with this mix. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about Chris Archer? I know that he was another guy that you had mentioned, um, and he had a couple of rough starts early, but wh- where do you think um, – what do you think of him? I guess as I've thought about him, I uh, I think that if you were going to buy low, the time to do that was um, maybe two weeks ago because I, I I don't really have many concerns about Archer, but I don't know if you share the same enthusiasm. Yeah, I agree. I think he's basically going to be fine. Um, and I think actually if you look back at his last couple starts, really I think he's been pretty good in most of them. He had two really terrible ones. There was one I think against Baltimore – where he put up like minus 30 points in Fangrass points. That was terrible. Yeah. And then there was one where he put up like three points. I think that was against Boston, maybe. 
Um, and outside of that, his starts have been pretty good. He's had a couple of really good ones, a couple mediocre. Um, and I know you can't just, you know, if you threw out every player's bad performance, every player would be good. But um, I think in Archer's case, he's shown enough that he clearly still has the skills there. And I think he's just kind of being dragged down by a couple starts that looked especially bad. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's pretty much going to be fine. I think you're right that if you were going to buy low, maybe like a week or two ago would have been easier when somebody might have been really disappointed. He's kind of started to bounce back a little already, I think, including he had one start and put up like 56 points or something, which um, not that everything is in terms of just how many pure points do you put up? But if somebody puts up 50 points, I think his owner is going to say, OK, let me give him another shot instead of just trying to dump him immediately. Yeah, I agree. And I think I think with Archer, I think that it kind of is the opposite of like the Rich Hill, uh, Drew Smiley, like holy shocking improvement point that I made earlier, where even if someone has a really bad start, a lot of times that doesn't really uh, indicate an underlying change in skill. Um, so sometimes it's just a bad outing because everyone has bad games. So I, I think, with I think guy- especially on the on the pitching side, too, because if you allow two home runs in a game, that's minus 30 points right there. So yeah. you already had to be going for 30 or 40 points to stay in the positives. Yeah. And like anybody can have a game where they allow two or three home runs. Even the best pitchers have it happen every so often. Mm-hmm. So I think it just stinks for Archer that he happened to do that like twice in his first five games. Yeah. So that really leaves the taste in your mouth a lot more heavily than if he did that in August. Yeah. And I would I would maybe downgrade him a couple bucks from like I had him at like 30 or 31, I think, going into the year. And maybe I'm at 28 now. But it's going to be so negligible in the long run that it doesn't really change um, my willingness to acquire him. So I, um, did you have another player you wanted to bring up or? Um... Oh, yeah, I had a couple more on my list. I guess we we covered a lot of your players earlier. So now we're just going down my hit list. Yeah. Um, the last two players I had um, specifically lined up for this are two catchers, maybe one in name only. Um, but we'll start with the first one. Wilson Ramos okay. uh, is somebody who uh, we had just discussed a little with your points that we think pitchers can change their value level, you know, what you're willing to pay for them much more easily. Uh, And I think as I was looking for maybe some hitters to uh, not necessarily to counterpoint that, but just to see if there were any hitters that fell into the same category. Ramos was one of the ones that came up for me um, that the past couple of years, I think everybody's been pretty down on him. Uh, He hasn't hit well. There haven't been many signs that he was just getting unlucky. And suddenly this year, uh, I think he seems really like he's back on track. If you look at some of his swing statistics, he's um, I think he's swinging at more strikes. He's not swinging at balls. He's not um, racking up swinging strikes as much swing and misses in the zone. Um, and I, I think anybody can tell listening to us that you are a little more a student of some of those higher level stats than me. So I'm curious to see what do you think? Do you think there's anything there with Wilson Ramos? Um, I I haven't looked at him too in depth, so you're catching me a little bit off guard, I guess, but I, oh. <laughs> I do think, um, I do think that with Ramos, he was one of the guys that I looked at, um, as kind of like that bottom tier catcher. I do think that his position, um, makes him a little, I don't want to say less valuable, but, um, I think Trey and I have kind of talked about this with you where I'm much more willing to just not r- even roster a catcher, um, in the early going of the season and just use that extra roster spot to kind of cycle through elsewhere. <laughs> Um, but yeah, looking at Ramos statistics, I'd probably have met like a $5 guy. I think, I think it is encouraging that he, um, is swinging less. And I think for him, the issue, the main issue has been that he hasn't stayed on the field. Like he's been injured the past few years, hasn't he? 
Um, yeah. So well, actually, I think that's one thing that may be helpful for him that you can pretty easily point to some of his struggles. Yeah. And think that maybe they were caused that he was constantly injured. Yeah. So, I mean, the they say the biggest predictor of future injury is past injury. So maybe, you know, we're holding out hope that he's going to stay healthy and it won't happen. But if this is a season when he's finally healthy, uh, I think there was always the thought that the talent was there and that if he could get healthy, he could take advantage. Yeah. So I, I, I do think that, like, his value has definitely gone up. Um, I probably would have paid – it would have had him as like a $1 guy um, going into the year and maybe he's like in the 4 or $5 range right now. I think one of the things that you mentioned was um, pitchers' ability to change their value compared to hitters. It, for me, it's not that pitchers – it's not that hitters can't change their value. It's that pitchers um, control so much more of what they can do um, that their value can change much more quickly. So it's not really like a – pitchers are better than hitters or anything like that. It's just – it. Um, I feel like the changes can kind of be realized um, at a much faster rate. So just wanted to kind of clarify that. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that. We mentioned a little before we were talking, um, uh, and I kind of put it as, you know, a pitcher has a lot of things they have direct control over, like you said. So mm-hmm. a pitcher could learn a new pitch, or they could, you know, change their strategy and start pounding the zone more, or start hitting the outside corner. Whereas a hitter, really, they're only doing one thing. They're swinging and trying to hit the ball. And... It's all reactionary. Exactly. There's not a lot of changes that they can make that directly impact. You know, they can get better at hitting the outside pitch or they can change their stance or they can start, you know, swinging with more of a power oriented swing. Um, But there's not so much they can do that will directly change their value immediately in the way that a pitcher could, you know, say somebody learns a splitter and it's just really good. You know, that player is immediately going to be a better pitcher. Mm -hmm. So, um, to change topics and talk about talk about hitters who have kind of changed their value. Um, there were two names that I wanted to bring up real quick um, and kind of get your thoughts on. One is Christian Yellick, uh, and sorry, now I'm putting you on the spot. And the other <laughs> the other is Michael Conforto. I feel like those are two young outfielders who have kind of really broken out. Um, so at the beginning of the year, I had Yellick and I had Conforto um, as eighteen dollar outfielders, and I would feel comfortable paying more than that for each of them right now. Um, so maybe the best way to do this is to look at maybe an, a higher valued outfielder who is struggling. So one of the names that I pulled out um, was Justin Upton. So we had Justin Upton, I think, as like the 10th outfielder in our Fangrass point ranking at the beginning of the year. Right now, if you were picking between Upton, Yellick, or Conforto rest of season, would you still go Upton? Hmm. Well, I guess this this is a little tough because there's... I think there's like a couple aspects to the answer. Okay. If we're talking about which player I'd rather have on my team, I think I'd pick Conforto. Okay. Um, but if we're talking about how much would I pay for them, uh, to me, that's a little bit different of an answer because part of why I prefer Conforto is precisely because you were able to get him, especially if you owned him from last year, probably under $10. Okay. So let's rephrase right now. Let's say that um, all of them cost $24. The same price. Yeah. Hmm. I think it's tough because honestly, I think maybe a lot of us felt like this when we were doing our rankings that we maybe weren't totally comfortable with Upton being ranked as high as he was. I know for me, at least I kind of had him ranked as I think the 11th or 12th outfielder, but at the same time, I wasn't super excited about that ranking. He was kind of just there because there wasn't a better option. Like if you got him great, but like you would probably pass and go cheaper. Exactly. Okay. You know, because I was thinking that I'm sure there's other people in the field that are going to perform better. Okay. 
but I don't know who they are yet. Okay. And I think Conforto fits exactly into that mold where we knew someone was going to perform better, but we didn't know who would step up. And now Conforto has stepped into that role. Okay. So I, I think I would, it, it's close for me, but I think I might take Conforto over Upton. Yellick, I'm not so sure about. Um, I was never a huge fan of him to start because I didn't think he would hit for that much power. Um, and looking at him now, he's not necessarily hitting for a ton more power. Um, it's just that his BABIP is higher. And he's walking like 17% of the time. <laughs> yeah, so both of those, like, I'm not 100% sure that maybe there is some real change, but I think he's still probably playing over his head mm-hmm. uh, at the point that he's at right now. Yeah, I think so. I think if it was me and l- let's say that like because I had upped in the lowest of all of us, I think I had him at 26 entering the year. Um, it, I would take Yellick and Conforto over Upton if all of them were the same price, only because I think Upton will have less trade value than the other two. Um, and I don't yeah, think that, that and I don't think that the rest of season produ- production is going to be. Um, I think that Upton could easily outproduce the rest, produce them from like this point forward, but I don't think that the gap is going to be so incrementally large that I want to pass up on the trade value. So maybe I'm giving up like 60 points rest of season um, from Upton to Conforto. I feel very comfortable right now just because of how Upton started that I could take Conforto and trade him for something much better than 60 points. Um, just as Yeah, like, I think Conforto, especially if you're going to trade him or even if you have on your team, there is the aspect of he's still pretty young, you know, so it's much easier for me to buy not only that he has improved, but also that he could keep improving or that he could keep up the improvement that he's made. Um, whereas Upton, to me, it's much more likely that he is on the downswing of his career at this point, even if that doesn't mean he's done. Um, I think going season to season, it's much more likely that he's going to get a little worse every season from now on. So if you're buying um, Conforto or Upton at the same price, Conforto could potentially help you for a couple more years, whereas Upton is probably going to be falling out of that range of value okay. over the next couple of years. Yeah. So... There was one other player you wanted to mention, right? And then I wanted to get into another topic real quick. Uh, yeah. So the last player I had on my list was Kyle Schwarber. Uh, and to me, he kind of falls into the same category of his role changing, um, which we mentioned can be more valuable for pitchers. But I think with hitters, you can see that impact them in terms of their position. You know, so say with Miguel Cabrera, he's always been a very valuable player. But when he got third base eligibility, his value skyrocketed because he was instantly the best third baseman you could have in Adenu. And Kyle Schwarber was interesting to me because we had some conversation over whether he was more valuable as an outfielder or as a catcher this year. Um, And then of course he went and got injured and that made his value for this year totally moot. Um, But what I think is going to be interesting is for next year, uh, a lot of people are wondering if he is just done as a catcher, if they're not going to try and put him back at catcher and he's only going to be an outfielder. Um, and also looking at Adenu, where you have to gain eligibility. So if he plays, you know, a game at catcher, a game at outfield, um, he pinch hits, you know, it's going to take some games for him even to get outfield eligibility. Uh, and I think uh, I am in the camp of a lot of people who are fairly negative on Schwarber from now on, just because it, even though he may not have been more valuable as a catcher, I think there was some value in the fact that he was eligible at catcher and outfield and he gave you some flexibility to move him around. And I think you see that with catcher more than other positions, because say Miguel Cabrera, you should start him at third base every time if he's eligible. You should not start him at first base, you know, except maybe an, an off day here or there where you need to get someone else in the lineup. Um, but I think with outfield and catcher, there was much more ability to maybe start 
Schwarber at the outfield most of the time and then use him as your second catcher or use him for some of those starts when you needed him. And to me, catcher is the one position where there really is some value to being able to get creative with a player like that. Yeah, I I, I agree. I am. Um, I do think that with Schwarber, I I am very pessimistic because I wonder if the Cubs will trade him. Um, and I could, I guess what I'm saying is even if they don't trade him, I could see a scenario where his eligibility is first base next year. Um, and it takes a while for him to get it. So he is uh, stuck with utility eligibility. So I, for me, um, and I was having a conversation with someone, I forget who it was this past week. Um, and it was basically like, what do you think Schwarber is worth next year? And I, I probably like six bucks maybe. Um, is like where I'm at right now where like definitely under 10 um, because I just don't think I like, I think we're going to be comparing him against other first basemen, at least for the majority of the year. Um, yeah. And, and I think we, we saw that a little bit this year looking at the Cubs outfield and just wondering who was going to get the playing time, who was going to get squeezed out. And there was already some thought that maybe Schwarber was going to be the guy who got squeezed a little bit, you know, maybe only playing against righties and sitting against lefties. So I think it's very easy to see next year, even if he's still on the Cubs, that, you know, other guys are going to have spent the whole year proving themselves. And Schwarber could be the guy that really needs to earn his playing time back instead of just getting plugged into a spot. Yeah, and I think it it's kind of like the recovery from injury. Are the Cubs even going to want to put him in a position where they do allow him to run and test his knees? I, I'm skeptical. Right. I mean, you could argue that that is exactly why he got injured this year because he was playing the outfield where he is not regarded as a good defender yeah i don't think he's regarded as a good defender anywhere <laughs> well yeah hot takes <laughs> not really but uh <laughs> this is funny. I, I in a lot of ways is the the format where you don't want to have your takes be too hot you want to kind of wait and see what happens lukewarm but takes. i think schwarber is <laughs> yeah exactly but i think schwarber is a rare player where you know one event which only took you know a couple minutes really changed his value. It wasn't just something where we're going to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of concern over, especially over his position, but also over his playing time. I agree. All right. So you mentioned you kind of had one last topic you wanted to. Yeah, I think we can kind of wrap up with this. Um, This kind of goes back to the pitching article that I wrote um, and some other conversations I've had about pitching. I just wanted to touch real quick on uh, points per inning pitched and just kind of talk about like what, um, like maybe some guys that are on that list and like where they stick out. I know that that's kind of a different, um, yeah. it's a different way to look at things. If you aren't familiar with the auto new format, you could hear either of us talk about points burning pitched um, and kind of be like, well, what's that? Like what is good? What is bad? And not really have an idea. So I just wanted to go through some of those benchmarks real quick. So um, replacement level for points burning pitched. Um, and I looked at this, not this past off season, but the off season before looking at like 15 years of data in a bunch of different scenarios. Um, it, it's around 4.2 to 4.25. Um, so that would be, like right now, we would be looking at like Bartolo Colon, Wei-Yen Chen, Hector Santiago, Jeremy Hellicks, and Jeff Samarja. Those guys are between 4.2 and 4.38, okay? Um, and just to be clear, this is uh, replacement level for starting pitchers. Yeah, this yes. is for starting pitchers, okay? So that does not mean that those pitchers are replacement level, but that gives you an idea of so far in 2016, pitchers who have performed at that level. Okay, so those are probably like starting pitchers that are like back of rotation guys. Um, I, even if maybe like in Samarja's case, there's expectations that he will um, be better going forward. Same with Rodon. Okay, um, then like when you get up to let's say like 
four, seven, five. Okay. That's where you start to have guys like maybe Aaron Sanchez this year is at four, eight, two. Um, in that range, I think like Dallas Keuchel's four, seven, five. Um, Adam Connolly's four, seven, five, where there, there's a pretty big jump in that like 0.5, um, points per inning, I guess, um, where those pitchers are definitely usable, but they're not like your most elite studs. Um, and then if we get up like at the top of the list this year, you have Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard is Noah Syndergaard is at seven point four two points per inning pitched, which is absolutely insane. Um, That's like reliever level almost. Yeah, that that is um, replacement level for relievers is like six and two thirds. So that is above replacement <laughs> level for. Relievers. So you could start Syndergaard in an RP spot, and he would be good. Yeah, <laughs> you can start him anywhere, and he's going to be fantastic. Um, but typically you are not going to have many pitchers over six. So right now, I, I think la- last year there were maybe three or four or five guys who were over six at the end of the year. Right now there are 14 pitchers who are over six innings, six points burning pitched. Um, so I think that's kind of where you can kind of see like small samples in place. Um, whereas if you look at like replacement level as a whole around four, two, there are 72 pitchers, which kind of lines up with how many are owned, owned in a league. Um, or starting pitchers, I guess. So I just wanted to run down maybe like the top 10 real quick and just say who's in that range um, or who those names are as the pitchers who have been performing the best so far. Um, and this is looking at guys who have started two or more games. Um, so you have Noah Syndergaard, uh, Steven Strasburg at 6'5", Vince Velasquez at 6'5", Jose Quintana at 6'4", Holy Shotkin at 6'3", Jake Arrieta at 6'3", um, and Clayton Kershaw at 6'3". So that's like kind of your most elite pitchers so far. Um, certainly that does not mean going forward they will be. Um, but those are your guys who have kind of performed the best as far as starting pitchers are concerned. Of that group, um, really it's Velasquez, Quintana, and Shaquin who are your um, real profit guys um, to this point because Syndergaard, Strasburg, uh, Arietta, and Kershaw, unless you owned them um, – really cheap and have been keeping them are probably all 30 to $60 guys, depending like in Kershaw's case. Um, and maybe Syndergaard was the cheapest of all of them at like 33 or whatever. So I just wanted to touch on that real quick because it kind of puts in perspective, maybe um, what points per inning pitched are and how they translate um, if you are new to the format. So I think you made an interesting point too, about the profit guys in that group. So like, say for example, I've never been a, a huge fan of Jose Quintana, but if you own Jose Quintana for five bucks and you've been starting him, that profit is in the bank. Yeah. So even if he falls off a cliff tomorrow, you got, you know, a month of elite starting pitcher level performance and you don't have to give it back. Yeah. You can take him out of your lineup if you want, if he starts pitching poorly. Yeah. And he's probably going to be a five points per inning pitched guy for the whole season now because he's already pitched, um, pitched at 6.39 points per inning pitch so far. So it, it's, um, it's one of those scenarios where that, definitely impacts what his rest what his full season line will look like so um just something to keep in mind um and certainly i'm i think of those profit guys i'm higher on velasquez than i am quintana or shakin um but i think all of those guys are interesting names just because of what they've done so far so that's really all i have i just wanted to say that um because i know a couple people have asked like okay well like points burning pitched how does that translate so yeah all right well i think that's um that's a good episode for this week Uh, Let's wrap it up, and then uh, I'll be back next week with our rotating cast of hosts. Uh, Have a nice night, everybody.